The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, we're in Joshua 7. We're going to do verses 16 through 26 today. And this is entitled The Valley of Achor, Part 2. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man and Zavdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zavdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Ahan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them down to the valley of Ahor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Ahor to this day. A lot is going on in the Bible. Unusual patterns go on and on and on and on. One of the great patterns that is evident once it is explained is that the first 28 books have matching patterns and parallels to the 28 chapters of Matthew. Some patterns are types, some are numbers, some are word patterns. For example, Matthew 1.1 begins with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is a direct link to Genesis 22.18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 
Also in Genesis 37, Joseph is said to have a messianic dream. Likewise, in Matthew 1.20, Joseph has had a dream about the coming Messiah. In the second book of the Bible, we find Exodus 4, 22 and 23. It says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. In Matthew 2, 15, which is the second chapter of Matthew, we see the following link to Exodus, the second book of the Bible. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. In one instance is the firstborn son, Israel, and in the other, God's only begotten son, Jesus our Lord. A great one is found in Daniel, the 27th book, and Matthew chapter 27. Daniel 6.17 says, Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Likewise, Matthew 27.66 says, So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Again, in Daniel 9.2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Matthew 27 verse 9 says, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Notice the intricacy where Jeremiah is quoted in Daniel, the 27th book, the 9th chapter, and Matthew 27 verse 9. Our text verse comes from 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. John speaks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things can only lead us down the wrong path. That is where Ahan has gone, and it will cost him. The patterns between the first 28 Old Testament books and the Matthew chapters that I mentioned above go throughout 28 of both. And there are similar patterns like this in other books of the Bible as well. As for Joshua, the sixth book in Matthew chapter 6, The pattern is seen in our verses today. Joshua especially highlights the silver in what was taken by Ahan. It does this twice and in a most curious way. Here is the pattern along with its counterpart in the book of Matthew. Joshua, the sixth book, verse 721 says, When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. Now, in Matthew 6, verse 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Also notice the parallel in the number where both are found in verse 21. The sixth book, the 21st verse, and the 621, the sixth chapter, verse 21. So you have 621 and 621. As I said, these patterns go on and on and on in the Bible. There are too many and they are too precise to simply be flukes. Rather, they are purposeful hints about what is going on in the word, leading to even further insights for us to know and then to find our confidence in this precious word 
For now, knowing these patterns exist with a part of them in today's verses, let us proceed into the passage. Great things are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is the Valley of Achor. It's verses 16 through 26. Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning. Vayishkem Yehoshua Baboker. And rose early Joshua in the morning. These exact same words were seen in Joshua 3.1 when the people were setting out from Acacia Grove or Shittim prior to crossing the Jordan. They were again seen in Joshua 6 verse 12 when the armies set out to march around Jericho. In other words, the very note concerning Joshua rising early in the morning tells us that a great and important event lies ahead, highlighted by the words. With that noted, it says, verse 16 going on, and brought Israel by their tribes. It is masculine singular. Vayakrev et Yisrael lishvatav, and brought near Israel to his tribes. The only other time the word Shevet or tribe is formed in this way is in Numbers 24, verse 2, when Balaam looked out over all of Israel and camped in the valley below and blessed them. It says, and raised Balaam his eyes and saw Israel encamped to his tribes, Lishvatav. In other words, as has already been seen, there is a corporate guilt upon Israel. It is as if Israel and his sons are sitting there at the moment, being judged for the anathema which is among them. That must be identified, singled out, and removed, or the corporate guilt will remain. And so the matter begins, verse 16 going on, and the tribe of Judah was taken. This is the first identification. As noted last week, the manner in which this identification took place is not what is important. Rather, the focus is on the fact that the Lord already knows who the offender is, and there is a process by which the man will be singled out. From the tribes of Israel, Judah is taken. From there, verse 17, he brought the clan of Judah. Much is written about these words, Vayakrev et mishpachat Yehuda, and brought near family Judah. Kyle says we should expect the tribe, the Shevet, or the families, plural, mishpachot, of Judah instead of the family, and that would normally be true. But just as the text identifies the tribes with Israel the man to his tribes, so it now identifies Judah according to family. It is again as if Judah is sitting right there being judged for what has occurred within his family. Next, verse 17 continues, and he took the family of the Zarhites. This is the second identification. Again, it is singular. And he took family, the Zarhite. One family of the family of Judah is taken. It is the family of the Zarhite. Everything is being precisely identified one unit at a time, demonstrating that the Lord is fully aware of the offender and is closing in on him. Next, verse 17 continues. Then he brought the family of the Zarhites, man by man. When the Zarhite family is identified, it then says that the identification goes la gevarim, or to the man. By this time, the offender must be beside himself, knowing full well that he is known. And yet, he does not come forward, but still waits. Verse 17 continues, and Zavdi was taken. This is the third identification. The man of the Zarhite family who is singled out is Zavdi, 
who obviously had his own sons, and it is obvious that more than one son went into battle, or else this next step would be superfluous. Verse 18, then he brought his household man by man. This would be the household of Zavdi being brought forward to the man. It is a methodical process of eliminating the guiltless and identifying the guilty. This would be needed because it could have, until this point, been two brothers if they both went into battle. Therefore, it is right to not just assume only one man was guilty. Verse 18 continues, And Ahan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zavdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. This is the fourth identification. It is now repeated in reverse to ensure that he is carefully pinpointed. It is he alone who has done it and none other. Therefore, the leader next speaks to him. Verse 19, Now Joshua said to Ahan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. More precisely, it reads, Beni sim nachavod leyehova elohe Yisrael. My son, set, I pray, glory to Yehovah, God of Israel. In saying, my son, you can feel the bond Joshua feels with the person despite what has transpired. A sense of pity can be interpreted from the words. Achan is being asked to set, sim, before the Lord, the glory that he is due, as if it is a guilt offering. Unfortunately, by doing so, he is placing himself as that guilt offering on behalf of the congregation. Verse 19 continues, and make confession to him, veten lo toda, and give to him thanks. The word toda comes from the word yada, to throw out with the yad or hand. Thus, it signifies to extend the hand as if in adoration. One can think of a choir of worshipers raising their hands to the Lord. Joshua is basically telling him to set himself before the Lord and to raise his hands in thanksgiving to him. It may seem odd, but when one considers that the entire congregation stands before the Lord as anathema, Ahan's acknowledging his guilt is to give back to Israel their status as being no longer anathema. Verse 19 continues, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. This sounds like any father that has ever caught his child doing something wrong. Right, Thor? (laughs) As in such a case, Joshua conveys the same basic idea in two different ways. Declare, do not hide. The word nagad means to make conspicuous or literally to front. The word kachad means to secret away or conceal. This is what is expected, and this is what he will now receive. Verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. The words are emphatic and filled with a sense of superlative guilt. Amna anochi chatati le-Yehovah Elohei Yisrael. Truly, I, I have sinned to Yehovah God of Israel. He emphatically pronounces that it was he who had done it, and he acknowledges it as sin, which was to Jehovah. It is not unlike David's words in the 51st Psalm, where he said, Lecha lebadecha chatati, to you, to you alone, I have sinned. Though this is true, the congregation stood guilty collectively for what he had done. As such, he must pay the penalty for their guilt to be removed. Achan also uses a word, omna, or truly, found only one other time in Scripture. It was back in Genesis 20 where Abraham confessed to Abimelech that Sarah was actually his sister. He used the same word. 
Achan again speaks emphatically. Verse 20 continues, and this is what I have done. Vechazot vechazot asiti. And according to this, and according to this, I have done. Of his words, Adam Clark says, this seems a very honest and hearty confession, and there is hope that this poor culprit escaped perdition. That may be so, but he won't escape temporal judgment, even if his soul is saved. For now, he says, verse 21, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment. This is the first failing. Va'ere basalal adret shinar achatova. And I saw in the spoil garment shinar one beautiful. His eyes alighted upon a garment of Shinar, meaning the plain noted in Genesis chapter 11, where the Tower of Babel was built. The meaning of the name is wholly speculative and can come from one of several possible roots, so I'm not going to give you a meaning for Shinar. Scholars highlight the fact that the garments from this area were especially beautiful, skillfully made, and highly ornamented. The word used, aret, comes from adir, or majestic. We can only speculate but it may have been the king's robe or it may have been used in the temple of an idol. Next he took, verse 21 continues, 200 shekels of silver. This would be 200 by weight, not necessarily 200 coins. As such, we could estimate it at a bit more than five pounds of silver. As of sermon typing day, which was about 10 weeks ago, this was worth about $1,375 in standard ounces, not troy ounces. The main thing to consider in this is the weight. As the narrative gives it to us, we need to determine what it signifies. Bullinger says the number 200 signifies insufficiency. If you want to know that, go through all instances of 200 in the Bible, and you will see where insufficiency is. Lord, 200 denarii wouldn't buy food for all of these people. It's an insufficient amount. Go through the Bible, check the 200s. You'll see it's always consistent. Next, verse 21 continues, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. Ushon zahav echad chamashim shkalim mishkalo. And tongue gold, 150 shekels his weight. The gold was in the shape of a tongue or a wedge. It would be about 1.26 pounds, and so the value of this, as of sermon typing day, was about $31,378. Again, this is in standard ounces. The number 50 must be considered. It is the number of jubilee, or deliverance. Bollinger says it is the issue of 7 times 7 and points to deliverance and rest, following on as the result of the perfect consummation of time. With that noted, Ahan next says, verse 21 continues, I coveted them. This is the second failing. Va'echmedem, and desired them. It is the same word, chamad, used concerning the tree in the garden. It was desirable to make one wise. It was used in the 10th commandment where it is translated as covet. It was also used in Deuteronomy 7, verse 25. You shall burn the carved images of their gods with fire. You shall not covet the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, lest you be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Verse 21 continues, and took them. This is the third failing. Va ekachem, and took them. Achan took the same path using the same words that brought about the fall in the first place. The woman saw, ra'ah, she desired, hamad, and she took, lakach. 
Then she passed it on to the man. It is also what James especially warns against. James 1, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Verse 21 continues, and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. The words are spoken very precisely. And behold them, hidden in the earth, in midst thee, my tent, and the silver under it. Scholars say things like, the mantle would naturally be placed uppermost and be used to cover up the others. But that does not explain the precise wording at all especially singling out the silver. Nevertheless, the admission is made. Verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And sent Joshua messengers, and they run the tent. The word messengers is the same word often translated as angels. It is one who is dispatched to perform a duty. And they find, verse 22 continues, and there it was hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. The Hebrew is briefer. And behold, hidden in his tent and the silver under it. Again, as with the previous verse, the silver is singled out. The other two items are not even named, but must be inferred. Verse 23, and they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. The idea here is that of guilt. The anathema is taken from the guilty party and brought to the leader of the people. He bore the guilt because he bore the responsibility for his people. It was brought to all the sons of Israel, surely meaning the elders who represent them because the congregation bore the collective guilt. And next, the Hebrew reads, Va'yatsikum lifne Yehovah, and poured them out before Yehovah. One can imagine a blanket laid out in the contents of the anathema being poured out onto it, revealing the guilt with each drop of an item. What should have either been burned, ascending to the Lord as an offering, or what should have been brought into the treasury of the Lord, and which was now no longer acceptable in that capacity, lay exposed to the sight of all. Verse 24, Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. Here it calls him the son of Zerah. That is an acceptable Hebraism where son can mean any descendant. He is Zerah's great-grandson. In the Hebrew, Joshua is highlighted as the main figure. Israel is mentioned at the end of the action. Here's how it would read in the Hebrew. And took Joshua Achan, son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the tongue, the gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his ox, and his donkey, and his flock, and his tent, and all that he had, and all Israel with him. The joint nature of the matter is mentioned only next. Verse 24 continues, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. It more correctly reads, and they took them up to the valley of Achor. The place Emek Achor is mentioned again in Joshua 15, Isaiah 65, verse 10, and Hosea 2, verse 15. 
The word emek signifies a deep place, coming from amok, meaning to be deep or to make deep. The word achor comes from the verb achar, or trouble. Thus it means trouble. And it is a play on words based on what Joshua says in verse 25. Together the two words mean the valley of achor, or the depth of trouble. It is uncertain exactly where this valley is located, but a really good candidate would be Wadi Kelt, a very deep canyon that runs throughout the entire surrounding area. It is where Sergio and I, and our friend Yossi, with one S, which is a private joke, walked from Jericho to Jerusalem, in which Jesus took on his travels. Verse 25, and Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. Here Joshua uses the word achar, to trouble twice. It gives the reason for the name of the valley. After saying this, it says, verse 25 continues, so all Israel stoned him with stones. And stoned him all Israel, stone, singular. Because of this being in the singular, many scholars say that only Achan was stoned and that the family was simply taught a lesson by watching dad get stoned to death. That is wrong because, one, the next clause says so. Two, Joshua 22, verse 20 says so. And three, the law of cherem, or anathema, demanded that his entire family perish with him. Achan is singled out as the representative of his family. As for the word stone being singular, it may convey the idea that someone walked up to him and clobbered him over the head with a single stone, dispatching him off to the next world. Also, verse 25 continues, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And burned them in the fire and stoned them in the stones. The plural of these words indicates the extent of the stoning. The entire family and all the animals were stoned. Noting that there were originally no verse numbers in the Hebrew, the words make sense when read along with the words of the next verse. Verse 26, then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. Taken together with the previous verse, you can see the progression. And stoned him, singular, all Israel, stone, and burned them, plural, in the fire, and stoned them, plural, in the stones, and raised over him, singular, heap stones great, to until the day, the this. In other words, his death and the stones over him also stand for the entire household who accompanied him in the punishment. It is a collective punishment, even though it was solely his transgression. And more, the cairn of stones signifies the shameful nature of the death that the one under it received. Verse 26 continues, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Vayashav Yehovah Mecharon Apo, and turned Yehovah from burning his nostril. This takes us right back to verse 1. It said there, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Verse 26, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. With the obedience of the people now realized, they no longer stand as anathema. The offense has been atoned for, and the propitious relationship has been restored. Verse 26 finishes with, Therefore, 
The name of that place has been called the Valley of Ahor to this day. Alken Karashem Hamakom Hahu and Mekahor Ad Hayom Hazeh. Upon this is called name the place, the it, Valley Ahor, until day the this. In other words, the valley got its name from what occurred. Why, O oh Lord, has this come about? What is it that has caused all of this suffering? What has happened has caused me to doubt. What is the source of this terrible thing? Lord, we look to you and wait for a word. We long to know what has caused this trouble. When the answer is given and we have heard, we will take action to correct it on the double. Lord, don't let anything tarnish your great name. Be with Israel and rescue us from this terrible state. Spread around the world your glorious fame. Let the nations know that your name alone is great. Our second thought today is pictures of Christ. What we have in Joshua 7 is not unlike several passages in Deuteronomy. For example, Deuteronomy 21 gave several situations which Israel might face, such as finding the body of someone in a field who was clearly slain, or female captives, the rights of the firstborn, what to do with a rebellious son, and what to do with a person who was hanged on a tree. If you remember that chapter, every single detail pointed to Jesus Christ every detail of it. If you don't remember it, shame on you. Go back and watch it. Or if you've never seen it, watch it. Wonderful pictures of Christ. Each of these was clearly seen to anticipate the work of Christ. For example, the disobedient son pictured Israel. He was to be taken out and executed for his transgressions. Israel was the disobedient son, but Christ took their place instead. Here, we have a passage where Israel has become anathema. Joshua 7, verse 12, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they had become doomed to destruction. Cherem, anathema. But this was said of such a state back in Leviticus. For Leviticus 27, No person under the ban, the cherem, who may become doomed to destruction among men, shall be redeemed, but surely be put to death. And this is exactly what Isaiah says the state of Israel has been. From Isaiah 43. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Your first father sinned, and your mediators have transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary. I will give Jacob to the curse, cherem, and Israel to reproaches. And more, the land itself went under the ban because of their rejection of Jesus. From Malachi 4, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse, Cherem, anathema. How can Israel, both the land and the people, be redeemed if they're devoted to destruction? That is what Joshua 7 deals with. Israel went under the ban. They rejected Jesus Christ. Achan, because of what he did, typifies Israel. They have been under the ban since their rejection of Jesus. This is made clear in several New Testament passages where the comparable Greek word anathema is used from 1 Corinthians 16. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed, anathema. O Lord, come. And then from Galatians 1, but even if we, 
or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed, anathema. Israel failed to love the Lord Jesus, and they have preached a false gospel of law, works, and self-righteousness. Despite this, we see in Joshua 7 that national Israel's collective guilt, which is clearly evidenced in verses 1, 12, and indeed the entire chapter, can be removed. Verse 1 shows that they acted unfaithfully in regard to the harem, the anathema. Israel rejected Christ, making themselves anathema. In Joshua, that was specifically done by Achan, or Achar, as is noted in 1 Chronicles 2. His name is spelled differently there, and it's for a reason. He is the serpent of trouble. The names of his ancestors give a picture. My vineyard, my gift, rising of light, praise. Like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, Israel came under the ban and is subject to death. Unlike them, however, Israel falls under corporate judgment because of their corporate guilt. And so the anger of the Lord burned against them. With that, the details of the battle of Ai were given to show this. Ai means ruins. That is beside Bethaven, or the house of wickedness, and east of Bethel, the house of God. In the Bible, east is the place of exile. It is a picture of Israel in their time of rejecting Christ. Exiled from God, the land is in ruins, and they are a house of wickedness, a state that they cannot defeat. In trying to do so, they were defeated, and it's specifically noted that 36 were killed, if you remember that from last week. That number was defined as a multiple of nine and four, finality or judgment, and the world number, creation. It reflects the state of Israel apart from Christ under judgment in the world and being chased as far as that unusual place called the Shevarim or the crushing. Their state is a state of ruin and it will continue to be so into the tribulation period. Can anybody disagree with that being a picture of Israel? Absolutely not. We've seen it for 2,000 years. It was especially highlighted in the words of verses 11 and 12 concerning the corporate nature of the offense, followed by the explanation of why Israel had turned their neck before the enemies. It was because they have become too anathema. This is where they are, and unless the matter is corrected, they will remain that way. Starting our verses today, Israel was brought forward by tribes, then the families of the tribe, then the next generation of families, and then man by man. The process of identifying him is accomplished in the reverse of how the names are mentioned in verse 7-1. Achan, Karmi, Zavdi, Zerah, Judah. Serpent, my vineyard, my gift, rising of light, praise. Thus forming a pattern that speaks of Jesus reversing what happened at the fall. The serpent brought sin into the Lord's vineyard. The Lord promised the gift of the coming Messiah. The light of Messiah arose and accomplished his work. The Messiah is the praise of God. Once identified, Achan admits his guilt, saying, Truly, I, I have sinned to Jehovah, God of Israel. He then explains his three failings, his eyes, Ra'ah, his desire, Hamad, his taking, Lakach. It was this sequence of things that brought his downfall and that brought Israel under the anathema. Jesus, like Achan, is from Judah. He, like Achan, was in a battle for the place of fragrance, meaning Jericho, 
Eden. He, like Achan, was tempted in the same general area in Israel. And yet, unlike Achan, he did not transgress. Three things Achan was tempted by were a beautiful garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a tongue of gold weighing 50 shekels. The garment pictures the state of a person. The reason why is when you put on a garment, it reflects your body, your state, okay? Silver pictures redemption. Gold pictures holiness, divinity, and royalty. These are all found throughout Scripture. Anytime you see these things, they will always reflect the same thing. They are each something Christ offers. Garments of righteousness, redemption, and holiness, divinity, not deity, and royalty. Achan attempted to get those things on his own, and it cost him. But if you remember, the narrative twice focused on the silver, it being underneath. As we saw in the opening, Jesus noted that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The weight being 200 signifies insufficiency. What he had was insufficient to redeem him because silver pictures what in the Bible? Redemption. Go back and watch the Exodus sermons in the building of the tabernacle and you'll get that. The guilt of what he did transferred to all of Israel and thus all of Israel was under the ban. When those items were poured out before the Lord, it stood as a witness against all the people. Thus, they had to remove the accursed from among them. And so, this is what they did. They took Achan and everything belonging to him, meaning his entire household, along with the three banned things, down to the valley of Achor, the depth of trouble, and there they stoned and burned him and all that he had. This is picturing Israel removing everything that is contrary to Christ that puts them under the ban, the total removal of it by coming to him. Think of what has been presented from the previous sermons. We have seen the process of salvation in individual passages, but they all happen at one time. Moses, the law dies. Israel accepts Christ's fulfillment of the law. Israel enters the Jordan, meaning Christ. Israel is baptized into Christ's death. That was chapter 3. Israel, signified by the stones carried to Gilgal, and which are then rested there, enters its rest. That was chapter 4. Two sets of stones are set up signifying the heavenly government of Jew and Gentile. That was also chapter 4. Israel is circumcised. Israel has put off the body of sins of the flesh. The reproach of the past is taken away when believers are circumcised by the Lord. That's chapter 5. Believers partake of Christ as their Passover. Chapter 5 again. The Lord is the leader of the people and they are brought into holy ground. Chapter 5 again. Access to that holy ground is brought by acceptance of Christ's work. Chapter 6. And now, coming out of the state of anathema, the harem, is realized through the love of Jesus. That's found in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, and pursuing the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 1, 8 and 9. And that is comprised in chapter 7 of Joshua. This is what the meaning of the uses of the name Valley of Ahor, found later in the Old Testament, signify. First, Isaiah refers to it in relation to the millennial kingdom. Here's what he says in Isaiah 65. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it, so I will do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. I will bring forth descendants from Jacob and from Judah, an heir of my mountains. My elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Ahur, 
a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. And in the other instance, Hosea refers to it when speaking of the covenant relationship they will enter into with the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Ahor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Later in that same chapter, it says, then I will sow her for myself in the earth and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people and they shall say, you are my God. Peter, writing to the Jews of the end times, cites that saying, 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, this is very difficult to understand unless you go through the study, but Paul uses those same words and applies them to the Gentiles. The Jews are out. The church is my people. And all of a sudden, Peter comes in with an end times book, and he says, you, speaking to the Jews, the scattered 12 tribes of Israel, are my people. And if you follow the pattern found in the book of Hosea, you'll see that it forms a chiasm pointing to exactly that. The people will be brought out of anathema, and the land will as well. Referring to the millennial kingdom, Zechariah says the following, All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's winepress. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall there be utter destruction. The word harem but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. He not only redeems the land, but he redeems the people. He does both. With this scene, the one point that may seem contradictory to what I have presented is Joshua's statement of verse 7. Remember this, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. The question may be, if crossing the Jordan pictures Israel coming to Christ, then why would Joshua, Israel's leadership, say this? It is because this is showing us the stages of what occurred one after another, just as has been the case with each chapter. Although the process of salvation, meaning each thing that happens to Israel, all occurs at once, each thing is being detailed separately to show us this in an understandable way. As such, this is what Joshua 7 is anticipating. The Lord is faithful to Israel, even in their unfaithfulness. This is perfectly evident from Joshua 7, where the entire nation was anathema because of the failings of one man. This is certainly not the only time in their history this came about. And it is certain that they went under the ban when they rejected Jesus Christ. And yet the Lord has spared them because he covenanted with them. That ought to be the greatest of reassurances for each of us when we fail him. 
When we do, his faithfulness is highlighted all the more. But let us endeavor to not fail him. Rather, let us be grateful all our days for the wonderful salvation that he has provided us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And when we have those moments of doubt that arise in our minds, let us remember the intricacy of this word that he has given us. The patterns I showed you when we opened today are just a teeny, teeny smidgen of what is in the word. Read the word, cherish the word, cling to this word as we await the sure promised return of the Lord for us. He is faithful and he will perform. Just look at Israel and you can be perfectly certain of this. What a great and glorious God we serve. Hallelujah and amen. It's wonderful things that we find in the word week after week as we pursue what God is telling us. This disobedient nation, they were brought into the covenant graces of the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses, 1,500 years before Jesus came, about 1,450 years. And from the moment that they were given that law, they violated it. The record of Israel from that day on is one continuous succession of violating the law. A good king comes along and he makes restoration. Two minutes later, a new king is in there and the whole country goes apostate again. They failed to love the Lord their God with all their heart. They turned away from him. He punished them once. They turned away from him. He came in the human flesh and they turned away from him, and he punished them again, sending them into exile, and yet he has preserved them exactly as Deuteronomy 28 said he would. Exactly. Leviticus 26 as well. He has protected and saved the people through their destruction, despite their state of anathema, because he covenanted with them. And so when we call on Jesus Christ and we say, can you lose your salvation? Maya just posted a Bible bite yesterday, I think it was. I watched like 10 of them yesterday because I haven't had the uh, the uh, TV for the past four days and she posts two a day. So I watched them all and enjoyed w the way she puts these things together. But she posted one in there that talked about exactly that. If you want to know if you're saved eternally, just understand the nature of God. When he speaks, it's an eternal decree. It's not like us where we change and we waffle and we vacillate. God speaks and it is done. God spoke to Israel and it is done. He has saved them despite destroying them. And he has brought them back into the land. And they're going to go through terrible times, but they will come out of it at the end in entering the new covenant. This is how great God is. Despite our failings, he never fails. Thank God for his salvation. If you've never received Jesus Christ, the gospel, I was talking to Tricky Mick this morning on the way to get some plates because we ran out of plates. And I don't remember the exact words he says, but he said, you know, it's the simplest thing of all is the gospel. And yet you don't find it in churches. It's this simple. Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. That's it. How can you not get that right? And yet churches all over the place just add something in there. You got to be baptized. You got to do this. You got to do that. Christ died for your sins. You're acknowledging I'm a sinner. I accept his death in payment for my sins. Christ was buried meaning he's really dead, and he took your sin into the grave. Christ rose again. If he had his own sin, he would not have come out of the grave. And if your sin stuck to him, he would not have come out of the grave. But he rose again, proving that he is God, that he had no sin, and that your sin is buried forever. Not three ever, not five ever, forever. Jesus Christ died for you. That is the simple gospel. Believe that, and then live for him. Do all the things he commands, but first 
accept his payment, please. Our closing verse comes from Hebrews 10. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. He's a great God. He just wants our faith. He just That's one thing that he can't make us give him. He just wants our faith. I believe that this God did these wonderful things for me. Next week is Joshua 8, 1 through 20. They didn't get it on the first try, but they will now get it done. It's entitled The Fall of I. Part 1. That'll be our 15th Joshua sermon. Thank you, Jay. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I've got a question I was going to ask you two weeks ago and I couldn't find it. I sent it to myself in an email and I forgot that. So this is last week's question and last week's question should have been this week, but it doesn't matter. We've got another prize for you right here. Okay, this is a $20 gift certificate to Publix. Okay, this is from John who came down for Bible study a couple weeks ago and he said he loves to challenge the congregation. That guy loves the word. I'm going to tell you that right now. Here we go. Can you name a mother of two kings of Israel? One woman had two kings of Israel. What's that? Kings, K-I-N-G-S. Okay. I told you this is going to be a tough one. Even Burke. Burke is looking. To, do you know him? Her? Not him? Anybody? Not Mary. Not Bathsheba. Okay, I'm going to read them to you. What? No, no. I'm looking for the lady. And I don't care if you remember her name. I'm just looking for who she is. Okay. Joahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And then from 2 Kings 24:18, Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. Two kings from one mother. I'm sorry, nobody gets this. You have to look at it with lust. Lust in your eyes for the next week. Because I was reading the Bible. That's how I knew it. It's because I read the Bible. Please read your Bible, sir. That's the whole purpose. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Read your Bible. That is the two admonitions you will get from this church. Because I could tell you anything and you have no reason to not believe me unless you know that I'm telling you a lie. You turn on the TV and you listen to people unless you know what they're telling you. You have no idea if what they're telling you is true or not. Read your Bible. Get up in the morning. Read your Bible. I know you're going to sit there and drink coffee. What else are you going to do? Or not. You'll do something else but read your Bible. And then during the day, think on what you've read. And then in the end of the day, before you put your head on the pillow... Read your Bible. I got a poem here for you. It, well, that's okay. That's okay as long as you're reading it. I, I had Linda a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago, we had dinner. And Linda said something about remembering all this stuff. 
And she said, I don't remember it. And I said, it doesn't matter. She says, well, then what's the point? I said, did you eat yesterday? Do you know what you ate? No. But it, no, I'm not. I, that's basically what I said. I said, I said, you're going to eat this today. You're not going to remember what it is tomorrow, but it nourished you, didn't it? You still got something out of it. It's better to put good food into you than crummy food. You can sit and watch TV all day, or you can read your Bible. Read your Bible. Like, it was very close. I may not have been exact, but that was the, the, the intent of what I said. Read your Bible. Okay, I got a poem for you, and we'll be done. The Valley of Ahor, and this is part two. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought by their tribes Israel. And the tribe of Judah was taken. For Judah, it wasn't going well. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites. Surely they were all shaken. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Ahan, the son of Carmi. Now this guy was really shaken. The son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Ahan, my son, I beg you, to the Lord God of Israel, give glory and make confession to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Ahan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned. Yes, I am the one against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, yes, I admit, I coveted and took them, and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent in a fit, and there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua according to the word, and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Ahan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, and more, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. Set the pyre. So all Israel stoned him with stones. And after they had stoned them with stones, they burned them with fire. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his angry way. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Achor to this day. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to Israel despite their unfaithfulness. And that means we thank you for your faithfulness to us despite our own unfaithfulness. Lord, we do wrong in our thoughts, in our deeds, in our minds, in our actions. Lord, we're just corrupt in our being. But because of Jesus, you have cleansed us and you have promised us a new hope, a better direction, and a life someday without any sin in a world that is free from those things. And we long for that day, Lord God, and may it be soon. And until then, we'll continue to remember your death until you come again. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.